18 to 35. And this can be found on page 1603 in the Pew Bibles. 1603. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 35. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. Help us to reflect on your word. Help us to know your word well so that it may transform our lives, that we may become more and more like Jesus Christ day by day. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of us have had unanswered prayers? How many of us have been disappointed with God? Some. It's okay to say we are disappointed by God. It's not a sin. It is what we go through and what we feel, and God knows that. People everywhere have encountered the same kind of thing, the same kind of experience. Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, talks about the questions that uh, we ask, three questions about whether God is hidden, whether God even hears us. This was an early book, and then years later, he wrote another book on prayer. What difference does it make when we pray? Or does it make any difference when we pray? And in it, he says, yes, I believe in prayer. And yet, he devotes two chapters to unanswered prayer. I remember in the last general election, Friends prayed so fervently that there would be a change in government. It did not happen. The ruling party, the incumbent, won despite not gathering a majority of votes. And the disappointment was great. And people were asking, friends were asking, where is God? Did he not hear our prayer? Disappointment with God is not new in that sense. You have Job in the Old Testament wondering what God was up to. Puzzlement with God is not new. John the Baptist, the one you would expect to be so fervent and holding on to faith, was puzzled. And maybe there was a tinge of disappointment in what he felt. As he heard what was going on with the Messiah. The thing is this, when you look at John's life, right from the womb, as the Holy Spirit, as the angel told Zechariah, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, when we looked at um, the birth of Jesus, 
that those Advent stories. We find Mary going to visit Elizabeth and we find John leaping in the womb because he recognised Mary, the mother of his Lord. Fast forward to Luke chapter 3 when he heard God's voice calling him into service in action to announce the coming of the anointed one, the one who is to come, he says. Uh, hold on, I can't seem to load my sermon. And so if you look at Luke chapter 3, John preaches a hard, earnest, fiery sermon about the one who is to come, saying this, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chef with unquenchable fire. And John was not talking about the harvest out in the fields, literally. He was talking about this Messiah who would come and clean things up. And John at that time was so sure, because if you go to Luke chapter 1, he heard from God himself that this person whom he was baptizing is the one who is to come. People asked him if he was the Christ, and he said, no. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John saying this. But fast forward to where we are. What has happened? John seems to be doubting. And so he sends his disciples to say, are you the one who is to come? Did I make a mistake? You see, the thing was, Jesus was hardly going around with this winnowing fork, a metaphorical fork, cleaning out uh, the establishment, um, turning out those who were ruling and those who were corrupt, overturning the Roman Empire. He was doing none of these things. 
In fact, all he seemed to be doing was to wander around the countryside, sit on the mountainside, and teach people, doing a little bit of healing. And John just could not comprehend it. John, so fervent to the point and passionate to the point where he went up to Herod and did what we call speak truth to power and rebuked Herod for committing adultery. You as the leader of God's people, so-called, you cannot be doing this. And he was thrown into prison as a result of that. So what was going on in John's mind? And so he sent his disciples. The thing about John is this. He didn't continue to speculate, although he wondered, but he took action. He went straight to Jesus. He couldn't go himself. He sent his disciples. And so they went and they asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or is there someone else? Are you just another herald like, you know, John himself? And you notice Jesus didn't give a direct reply. I don't know about you, but sometimes I would say, Jesus, answer my question, lah, just yes or no, two little words. But Jesus said, take a look at what is happening. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, and so on and so forth. And if you know your prophets well, Jesus was actually quoting from various places in Isaiah. Isaiah, more than most, spoke about the Lord's servant who is to come. He spoke about the one who the anointed one who is to come and restore God's kingdom. And Isaiah preached during some very, very corrupt regimes, even though they were God's people. And one of them, the longest reigning king, Manasseh, was as evil as they came, and he even built a pagan altar in the temple of God. And so Isaiah in that era, in that time, spoke about the servant of the Lord who would come to restore God's kingdom. And he says things like, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And will, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And then you have in chapter 29, in that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in God, in the Holy One of Israel. And in chapter 26, but your dead will live, your bodies will rise, you who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. And you remember just before this, Luke tells us that Jesus raised the son of a widow in name. And of course, there is Isaiah 61, where 
Jesus himself quotes, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoner, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And so you had all these things that Jesus was saying indirectly to John. What the prophet says is being fulfilled, but not in the way that you expect. A little bit different. Not all at once. It will come. And things are happening, perhaps not in the way you think they will come. And so from this story, let me share with you three things that we can learn. Uh, can we have the next slide, please? The first thing is, like John, when we have doubts about God, the best person to talk to is God. Because no other human being can understand where God is coming from, to be honest. Some who are a little ahead of us in the journey may be able to help us to discern some things and walk with us. But at the end of the day, even when we have companions to help us, they help us in, by pointing us back to God, by helping us to look at our relationship with God and by drawing us closer to God so that we can deepen our relationship with God. It is not so much about people telling us the answer, but it is about communicating with God. It is about connecting and talking with God. And so the, the thing is when we are confused, when we are not sure what God is up to, best is to ask him. The second thing is that God does not always answer in the ways we expect. A number of you raised your hands when I asked how many of us have experienced unanswered prayer. And when we talk about unanswered prayer, more often than not, it is a no answer from God. God has said no. Not the way in which you pray. I, I will not answer in which, the way which you have prayed. I will answer it my way. But we need to know this. God can be trusted. And how do we know God can be trusted? The cross. There is no other demonstration of love as immense as the cross, as extreme as the cross. And Paul in Romans talks about this as well. In Romans chapter 8, He says this, He who has given us all things, oh, He has given us His life, 
Um, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? But all things may not be the same all things that we think is good for us. And that is why Paul says in verse 28 of that same chapter, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. You know, using these words when people are suffering is very crass. It's, it's a very hard thing to say. And we should not, because we don't know the situation of the person and all that is involved. But for us, we need to come to this conviction that whatever God is doing in our lives, including not answering our prayers, are for His purposes and our good. Because God is the one who sees the big picture. Admittedly, it is not easy to take sometimes. And we have to wrestle with God like Jacob wrestled with God. In that wrestling, and we can only wrestle with God if we have a relationship with God. If we don't, we cannot. And in that wrestling, we will come to a place like Job did, where God answers the way we need, not what we ask sometimes. Job never got an answer to his questions, if you realize, if you read through the book of Job. God answered Job in a way that Job needed, which was to see God and to know that God has not given up on him. Sometimes it's not us giving up on God. We need to know God has not given up on us. And God doesn't. And that's why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. Because God has not given up on us and he came to be with us. And so God can be trusted. And I say this not because I've looked at the Bible and it says so. I say this because I have gone through it myself. The third thing we can learn from this is that doing what is right can get us into trouble. We know we are supposed to do what is right. But the problem is there are times when we run counter to what people want. And so doing right can cause offence to others. We will look at this a little bit more uh, later on. Can we have the next slide, please? My apologies because the sermon is not loading on the iPad. We can't count on technology. God is the only one you can count on. 
The second thing about this passage that I want to talk about is citizens of the kingdom. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? And so um, Jesus has answered or responded to John's question. The disciples have gone away and Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to the crowd and say what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And he begins with John. You went out into the wilderness. John was in Jordan. He was not in the palace. He was not in the marketplace. He was out there in the wilderness. And yet people went to him. Crowds went to him. And so Jesus is saying, why? Why did you take all that trouble to go all the way there to see this man? You know, sometimes when we desire something and we want something really uh, really uh, deeply, we will go far. We will be willing to go as far as possible to get it. Uh, when I was working in KL, I know people who would take the four-hour drive to Penang just to eat and go back. Same day. And so, people were going out to John the Baptist. And so Jesus said, what did you go out to see? Was it some great person? Uh, reeds swaying in the wind? Definitely not. You wouldn't go to see, just see something like that. But you went to see a prophet. And this prophet is the one who brought you God's word. And in, in, um, all, in all of the people who have been born, the prophets who have been born, this person, I tell you, is the greatest. And the reason is John was the end of a long line of prophets that God had sent to his people to tell them first to walk in my ways and second to announce that God had a plan to rescue people from sin, although they didn't say it in those words. And yet, and yet, people who are in God's kingdom, Jesus says, the least, the very littlest is greater than John. And that's a strange thing to say. John seemed to have done so much for God, gave up his life for righteousness, paid for holding firm to God's truth and righteousness with his life. Someone who is in the kingdom of God has a personal relationship with God. Someone in the kingdom of God is living the fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34 which says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This 
is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the promise God gave that applies to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It applies all through right down to us that we are able to have a personal relationship with God and that the Holy Spirit rests or lives in those who believe in Jesus Christ. And we have direct access to God's throne of grace. If you remember in Exodus, when God came to meet with the people, God wanted to speak to the people but the people did not want to hear. They were terrified. And so they told Moses, you go and tell God, you go and speak to God, and then you come and tell us what God says. And since that time, it was the prophets, it was people like Moses who heard directly from God and the Holy Spirit was only given to specific people. But after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, every person who places their trust in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit in them and has this relationship with God and they can talk to God directly. And surely that is the greatest thing that can happen to any human being to have a personal relationship with the Lord of the universe, the creator who loves them, and to know God's love for them. And so being a citizen of the kingdom is something that is much larger, much better than being John the Baptist. The third thing is that the kingdom of God, while it is great, it also causes offense. The offense of the kingdom or the offensiveness of the kingdom. God's heart is for all people. God's heart is that all people should come to know him. And Peter, if you remember Peter, the impulsive one, the one who wanted to so earnestly to do what Jesus wanted him to do, but kept putting his foot in his mouth. In his older days, after he had come to truly, truly know Jesus and love the Lord, says this,
There were people who were saying, you say God is coming again, you say Jesus is coming again, we are not seeing it. You must be lying. False teachers were teaching people and leading people astray. And so, he says this, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died and every, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Yeah, this is what the people are, were saying. But they deliberately forgot, forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. God does judge. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Jesus himself says in Luke, I have come to seek the least, the last, and the lost. I've come to save and seek and save the lost. And so God is interested, or God's heart is for those who have yet to know him. The Pharisees and the experts in the law, and that's, that's an irony, the experts of the law are supposed to know the law and God's ways and God's heart. But in their earnestness to keep every letter of the law, they forgot God's heart. They looked at the black and white. They forgot the heart behind it. And so they drew boundaries, so tight boundaries that people could not enter. Instead of having porous boundaries that drew people in, and gave them space and kept them safe. They drew so tight boundaries that people could not enter. And Jesus came to reach out to these who were lost. And so, the Pharisees and the experts of the law insisted that people conform to their laws and regulations over and above the 613 laws that are in the Old Testament. And when they didn't conform, they would call them all sorts of names. They would cut them off. And so they could not get John to fit into their mold. And so they said, he has a demon, devil-possessed. Jesus came, he would not fit into their mold. And they looked at the things he did and said, nah, he's a glutton, he's, you know, he mixes with sinners. 
But when the gospel comes, the gospel comes with the love of God that cares that people are lost. Let me share with you a story that I read. Bill was a college guy, young man, wild hair, t-shirt and jeans were his normal attire. He didn't have anything else. And one day he decided to attend the church that was across the road from the college. And so he went in. And this church was genteel, uh, much like ours, conservative. He went in and there was no space because the church that day was packed. And so he went from the back of the church down the aisle looking for a place to sit. And as he came nearer and nearer the front, there was obviously no place for him to sit. And so he looked around, having no place, he decided just to sit down in the aisle. The tension, you could feel it. And then one of the elderly deacons who was ushering that day came walking towards Bill. Elderly man, 80 years old, holding a cane, walking steadily but slowly towards him, wearing a three-piece suit, very neatly dressed, very dignified, godly man. He came and he walked and the tension mounted. And there were people in the congregation thinking, well, he, a man's got to do what he's got to do, and I don't blame him for what he's going to do. And so that elderly man came walking towards Bill. With difficulty, he put his cane down on the floor, and he sat down next to Bill to help him worship. You thought he was going to throw him out, right? But that's just it. That is what God's kingdom is about. And it causes offense to those who have very fixed ideas about how people should conduct themselves in the kingdom. And I wonder if someone like that should walk in today. Someone who doesn't smell very nice. What we will do. And I remember in one church, one chap walked in. He had, for some reason, uh, the skin, he had perhaps fallen down or something. There was a wound on his knees and legs. And he'd come in and he'd wanted uh, to ask for money. And the youth worker took a look at him. Some of the people were going like, hmm? But the youth worker took a look at him, told him to sit down, ran upstairs, got the first aid kit, dressed those wounds. He was a known drug addict and another person in the church recognized him. Um, was very tough on him. Perhaps it was needed, but it bordered on rudeness. And that wasn't called for.
And so the gospel can be offensive to those who believe that they have it all together and know all about God. And we need to watch out for ourselves whether we are there. And I hope we are not. Because God's call to us is not just to deepen our relationship with Him, but as we deepen it in the right way, we will find that our hearts are going to be led to those outside our community and those who need the gospel the most. And so in conclusion, let me just go over. One, God can be trusted. The second thing is those in the kingdom of God are blessed. And I pray that all of us will know how blessed we are, that we are even greater than John the Baptist. And third, we take no offense at what God is doing. Knowing that if we are to follow God, we can cause offense to others. May God help us to know his heart that is tender and compassionate for those who are lost and to give us grace and strength to walk in his ways and stand firm in the gospel. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you reach us with the gospel the good news that Jesus came to save us from our sins and that you love us. We pray for your grace to help us to know this love so deeply that in turn we will be able to love those who are lost and reach out to them. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.